0: Good morning. Everybody hear me okay? All right. Well, I did this at the nine o'clock, so I'm already an old pro at this, right? Uh, my name is Atul Pandey. It's a privilege to come uh, bring the Word of God to you. Uh, Pastor Tom, he's on vacation today. Uh, you know, there were two weddings yesterday. One was the royal wedding. And the other one was his granddaughter uh, being married. So we wished them well. And I'm one of the two elders uh, in the church. The other elder is Don Ivers. Uh, he's been an elder since Genesis 1-1. <laughs> in the beginning. I, I've been on the job only two years, and it, it's been great. So so thank you for being here. Uh, Before we get going, I saw some Israel shirts. Can you stand, please, if you're a part of Team Israel? Let us recognize you. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to good old Safe USA. We're glad you're here. Before I get going, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm an immigrant from India. I came here uh, 28 years ago and I was, I was only 20 when I came, a little over 20 years of age. And my dad, he uh, saved up $2,000, he bought me a plane ticket and he let me go. And my mother, she, uh, she packed me a pressure cooker <laughs> <laughs> and a whole bunch of lentils and, you know, that's just the heart of a mom, right? Uh, she didn't know what I was going to be doing for the next 28 years, but she figured I wasn't going to starve the first week when I came here. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. I was only 20, and I didn't know much about America. I only knew about America what I saw in the movies, and the Hollywood movies. So I figured I knew everything about America, Right. <laughs> But I was curious, as any 20-year-old is, and I wanted to learn a lot about where I was, so I did the best thing any immigrant should do. I started watching The Simpsons. <laughs> I know, I know. That I was, I was not a very good doctrination of American culture. You know, some of you young people are like, well, I'm going to go home and look this up on YouTube. I don't know what he's talking about. But most of you know what Simpsons is about, and the thing with Simpsons is they make fun of everybody. They don't leave anybody out. And the way they make fun of everybody is through a stereotype. They stereotype you. So for example, Homer is a stereotype of American male as, not true, but as lazy and obese and dull. And then you've got Lisa, you know, she's the gifted girl child, right? You've got Krusty the Clown. You've got Mr. Ned Flanders. He's the Christian evangelist, and his boys Rod and Todd. Anybody know? The famous line, "Rod and Todd, this is God." (laughs) But so the the thing about stereotypes is, stereotypes are not true. Stereotypes—that's a lie. And if believing in a stereotype leads to a very uncomfortable and unfulfilling life, not to mention stereotypes are are extremely dangerous. There's another stereotype that's worst of all. You know which one that is. The stereotype is that there is no God. That's the stereotype. There is no God. There is nobody there. When, you know, when Tom asked me to preach today, I, I immediately prayed about it. And I, I heard clearly from the Lord that he wanted me to tell you that he's really there. He's really there. He's waiting on the other side of life. You know, the death rate right now, as of this morning, was at 100%. It's it's not going to change unless the Lord returns. We're all dying here. And he wanted me to just talk about how we know that he's really there. Our scripture today is from Luke 7. Uh, Thank you for reading that out, Courtney. Uh, To put a little context on it, the paragraph just before what was read, you know, Jesus raises a widow's son. It's hard enough to lose a child let alone the only child, let alone a widow's only child, because that's her life. That's her provision, her protection, her everything. And Luke 7 tells us that he was dead, and the people were carrying him out to bury him. And Jesus has compassion on 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 the widow, and he touches the boy, and the boy comes back to life. And the scripture says he gave the boy back to his mom. And, peop- and the, the, the passage says that people were filled with awe and they praised God and they said God has come to help his people. So this happens and then John the Baptist, you know, he immediately recruits two of his gophers and he says, Go to Jesus and ask, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect somebody else? Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? Say what, John? Really? He just raised somebody from the dead. And the question is coming from John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the same guy that leapt in the womb when he was first in the presence of our Lord. The Bible tells us when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to see her cousin Elizabeth, who was John's mother, and John was in the womb. And as soon as Mary greeted Elizabeth, the baby leapt in the womb because the baby knew, this is my Lord, this is why I'm coming into this world. This is what Isaiah says, I'm here to prepare a way for the Lord, to make straight paths for him. I'm here so that I would decrease and he would increase. This was John the Baptist. He knew clearly what his life's mission was about. And then Jesus raises somebody from the dead. And then he immediately gets two of his disciples and says, Go and check. Go and check. Is he really there? Is he really the one? That's not like us at all, is it? We're not leaping in the womb when we are born again, are we? And then we go through life, and then some more life happens, and then some more life happens, and then we're sitting around going, Are you really there? Are you really there? But you know, I I take encouragement in this, because if John the Baptist could doubt, then who are we, right? Right? It's part of our humanity, it's part of our human condition that we are prone to doubt. You know, one of my favorite hymns is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Anybody like that? And there's a line in there that goes, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Take my heart and seal it, seal it for Thy courts above. So we, we should be encouraged, guys, if we are into a season of doubt, as long as we just camp there temporarily and get the heck out of there, go back to where we belong, belonging to the faith. Well, ask me, how do I know he's really there, please? Well, thank you. I'm glad you asked, because I got, I got at least three reasons for you, and there are so many more, and your own testimony is one of them. But the first reason I know is because it says so in Hebrews. By the way, you know men are better at making coffee than women? It says so in the Bible. You know Hebrews? (laughs) Uh. (laughs) In Hebrews 11.6 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. You know, God set this system up, the system of faith, this muscle that we've got to exercise, this seeing without believing. Uh, I'm sorry, believing without seeing stuff. It's not natural. I can't even say it right, see? It's supernatural. It's a gift from God. And for some of us, admittedly, it comes easier than easier for us than others. But that is his system. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So that's one answer for you. The second answer, how we know that he he's really there, is actually let's just ask Jesus. Let's see what Jesus told those two disciples when they came to him and said, Are you the one who was to come or should we expect somebody else? Here's what Jesus said. He said, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You know, it kind of makes me wonder why... Jesus is God, so why couldn't he just supernaturally speak to the disciples' heart, speak to John the Baptist's heart, and just convince them that he's God? Instead, he tells them that the blind receive sight. The deaf hear, the lame men are walking, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's because he wanted them to exercise their muscle of faith. Not only that, in Luke 4, you know, When Jesus, as was the custom, it says, he went in the synagogue and the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. And he read out the same words. He said, The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame men are walking. And he closes the scroll, puts it down, and then goes down and and says, Today this prophecy is fulfilled. And he goes and takes a seat. Can you imagine? what gall he had to do that, seriously, is because he is God. That's how we know he's there, guys, because blind men are receiving sight. Lame men are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. You know, part of the world where I come from, that is actually happening, even today. I know it's hard to believe. Sitting here in Grove City, in Columbus, you're like, "Well, that doesn't happen here." I don't know if any blind people that are receiving sight. I don't know if any lame men that are walking. I don't know if any poor that have heard the good news. That would be true, except we ourselves were blind once, and we're seeing now. We were lame once, and we're walking hard, fast with with the Lord now. Good news was was proclaimed to us. And you would say, well, we're not really that poor. And you're right, we're not. We're not that poor at all. However, we're still really, 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 really poor. You know how I know that? Because we can't even add an hour to our life. That's how I know that. All our health and our wealth that we may rely on, that can disappear in an instant. That's how we know he's still there. You know, you could say, well, this is all well and good. You're telling me things from the Bible. But here's one way I would really know that he's there. If somebody came back from the dead and he said, well, you know, I was hanging out with Jesus an hour ago and now I'm here and I'm here to tell you that he's really there, that would be it. That would be the gold standard, right? That would make us uh, not worry, not fret, all striving with seas, all doubt would seas, all conflict would seas, Peace, like we, would, we have never known, would come upon us, if we knew that, right? Well, it turns out that we do. In Luke chapter 16, we're, we're told of a rich man, a rich person who lived in luxury in a palace. And just outside... His, his gates laid a beggar named Lazarus. And Luke 16 tells us that he begged day and night and he had open sores and that dogs would come lick his wounds. And it turns out that they both died and the rich man was tormented in hell because of the things he did here on earth while the beggar was in the presence of the Lord. So the rich man, he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, i got five brothers down there, and they're doing the same thing I'm doing, and you got to send Lazarus so he can go warn them so they would change their ways and not end up the way I am. And you know what Jesus says? He says to him, If the five brothers did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if somebody rises from the dead. You see, God places a higher weight, a higher emphasis on faith, even when compared to testimony from the dead. That's how important faith is to believe that He exists. If you want to see testimonies of people coming back from the dead, you know, YouTube is full of them. <laughs> you can just look that up. Well, you know, it might be going through your mind that I'm throwing all these arguments out at you, but they're all from the Bible. So I'm kind of doing the circular logic thing, right? I'm telling you that he exists because the Bible says so. And it kind of goes in a circle, and maybe it's not as convincing as it should be, right? So here's what i got to say. I know that he is there, because I've seen him. I've seen him. And you know, I don't know if if you know my background, but I was born and raised in a Hindu family. You know, my parents uh, raised me as a Hindu. I did all the right Hindu things. I went on pilgrimages. I worshipped all the idols. I observed all the festivals, and did all the things a Hindu should do, yet I did not know God. And we praying for the Hindu people, by the way, because they're a God-thirsty people. They really are. It's just that the devil has blinded their eyes and they can't see. But anyways, my wife Lisa, she was going to a a great group. We have life group, home group, and church. It's called Murph Field. Yeah, come on. Any Murfinfielder? All right. Thank you. I told them I'll put in a plug for them for us. But Murfinfield was was praying for me. They were praying specifically. I found out later that God would reveal Himself to to me. That He would personally reveal Himself to me. And you know, I still remember the night when it happened. It was about it was about two in the morning i was in deep sleep and i was woken up and he was right there guys he was right there and my heart has never known such fear as i did that night and praise be to god i haven't feared like that ever since And you know The Bible says in Exodus, nobody can see, the Lord himself says in Exodus, nobody can see me and live. And he's right. I I died that night. I was born again that very night. That's That's my answer to how do I know he's there. If you don't believe anything in the Bible, if you can't exercise the muscle of faith, I'm here to give you personal testimony that he's waiting on the other side of life. And the sooner we get a hold of that, the better off we will be. Well, let's answer the question, why should we care that he's really there? Why should we care that he's really there? Well, first of all, I think most of you would agree that's a stupid question, right? There is no stupid question, but that question certainly is stupid. Why should we care that he's really there? Well, many answers for that, but again, I'll give you three. The first answer is we should care that he's really there because he's a rewarder. He rewards us. Even if our lives are full of trials, there is still a blessing if we diligently seek him, as it says in Hebrews 11.6, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is my testimony, and that is your testimony as well, I know, many of you, that as you seek him, you are rewarded. That cake pop from Starbucks, it's there. It really is there. Another reason why we should care that he's really there is because he's a helper. He is a helper. Not sure how old I was when I realized that the worries and the troubles of this life, you know, you can't handle it by yourself. Self-reliance only gets you so far. In fact, the best place to evangelize, I think, is the self-help aisle of Barnes & Noble. You know? People that are in there, buying these books, finding their way, let's do it. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, and he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is our helper. And here's the, here's the best way I can explain it, you know, through the life of Moses. You know, Moses was born at a time when babies were being killed in Egypt. You know, the, the, uh, the, the Pharaoh had issued an edict that all Hebrew boys under the age of two must die. And that's when Moses was born. And Moses' mama, she was worried for her baby. So what she did was she put him in a basket and she floated him down the River Nile while Miriam, Moses' sister, kept watch on the basket from a distance. Now it so happened that Pharaoh's daughter had come with her friends to take a bath in the River Nile. And now it so happened that Pharaoh's daughter saw the cute Hebrew baby boy, and it so happened that the Pharaoh's daughter fell in love with the cute Hebrew boy. And it so happened that Miriam, who was right there, she said, Oh, looks like you should adopt him. And Pharaoh's daughter said, Yeah, I think I will. And then Miriam said, Well, maybe I should go find you a nursemaid for this baby since you you need somebody to nurse him. And Pharaoh's daughter said, Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So it so happened that Moses' mom was hanging around, and she's like, Well, wait a minute. I... I think I can nurse this Hebrew boy. And Pharaoh's daughter said, well, well, that's an excellent idea. So Moses went from being killed to being raised in Pharaoh's household. And Moses' mama went from fearing her baby boy dying to taking care of the baby boy and getting paid for it. (laughs) Are you going to tell me God can't change things on a dime? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God is our helper. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Another reason why we should care, why he's really there, is because he's, he's a care catcher. He catches our cares. In 1 Peter 5.7 it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You know, if, if I were to summarize what our Lord's instructions for us were, his instructions for us were to not worry, to focus on the present, to quit striving, and to rely on him for everything. That's it. That takes care of the whole gamut. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. I played a lot of cricket growing up in India. Anybody know the sport? Yeah. I've played a lot of soccer, too. And, you know, later in life I switched to golf because I can't play cricket here. But, you know, I tried to learn American football. I, I really tried. <laughs> I've been trying for 28 years. Every, every year the Buckeyes roll around, I try to learn it, and I learn some, but I don't really appreciate it the way I know other people do. But there's one thing I know about football, which is, you know, at the start of the play, the quarterback gets the snap, right? He gets the ball. Now, when he has the ball, the opposing team, they're all coming after him. They all want to kill him if they can So the quarterback does the next best thing. There's a running back, right? Who knows this job better than the quarterback. He gives the ball to the running back. The running back starts running. And the whole opposing team switches now. They go after the running back, right? I feel like God is our running back if we only give him the ball. but we don't want to give him the ball. We want to keep the ball. We want to say, my ball... I was born with it. I came with it. I got to worry about it. It's mine. You can't take it from me. If you take it from me, what the heck am I going to do? All the time God's yelling at us, you dummy, give me the ball. <laughs> give me the ball so I can run it for you. He's our care catcher. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, I was watching... Uh, Uh, They pick up trash in my neighborhood on Wednesdays. And I see those trash guys, I see how they take the trash and they throw it in the truck, right? They don't care. They really don't care what goes in, what falls out. They just take it and they cast it into that truck. I feel like that's how we got to cast our cares, like that trash guy on Wednesdays. Cast all your cares on Him, because He cares for you. Well, guys, it's almost time to wrap up, but here's what I really wanted to say. Most of us are believers in here. We believe. We believe in the name of Jesus. We believe that He's God. We know by the Spirit of God, only by the Spirit of God, we can say that He is God. But there's a difference between believing and knowing. For example, I believe I'm going to watch golf this afternoon. (laughs) Right? I believe that, but I don't know that. A lot of things can happen between now and then. There's a difference between believing and knowing. And my prayer is that we don't just believe. But we also know that. He's really there, guys. He's really there. Let me, let me give you another illustration. And maybe this would mean something to uh, some of you that are science-minded. You know, 500 years before our Lord was born, the Greek philosophers had figured out that the earth is round. They had proven through physics and mathematics that the Earth is truly round. And from 500 years B.C. to about 1957 A.D., we believed that the Earth was round. However, in 1957, the Russians sent up a satellite called Sputnik that went up there outside our atmosphere and took pictures of the Earth from every angle, And that's how we knew that the earth was round. That's how long it took. So my prayer for all of us is that we won't just live our lives believing, but we would know that he exists. And here's why it means so much. When we know that he exists, that's when we do the things we're told to do that we don't feel like doing sometimes, such as praying, Reading our Bible, tithing, serving, going to Murphy Field home group. <laughs> Got it in twice. Up on your feet, church. Let's worship the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.